And Elm Do Hate by Nina Shepherdson. 1. Witch Elm, noun, a species of deciduous tree, scientific name Ulmus glabra, found throughout much of Europe and Western Asia, also known as witch hazel. 2. Abner? Abner, where are you? Abigail turned in a circle, leaves crunching under her feet. Abner, I give up. You win. Her lower lip trembled and she clenched her hands into fists. I don't want to play this game any more. Just tell me where you are. A cry came from where the sun was setting. So faint, she almost missed it, took it for the wind. Abby? Abigail sprinted towards the sound, weaving around tree trunks and ignoring the underbrush that tore at her dress. The wails grew stronger. I'm here! I'm in the tree! Abigail pushed through the low-hanging branches of a pine and emerged in a clearing. A tall witch elm stood in the centre. Drooping boughs festooned with bright green leaves formed a cave around the wrinkled grey trunk. The branches were shaking and Abner's shouts were clearly coming from somewhere within. Abby! Abby, I'm in the tree! I'm stuck! Abigail slipped under one of the branches its leaves brushing her face and hair like their governess's hands. It was dim under the tree, as if the sun had already set. She peered upward, but Abner was nowhere to be seen. Then the tree trunk shuddered and bulged as if something was pounding against it from inside. Edging closer, she spied a patch of blue, Abner's check trousers showing through a hole in the trunk. Abigail jumped and grabbed a low-hanging branch. Swinging her legs up, she pulled herself into the tree and scrambled in toward the trunk. It was thick, but hollowed out, and Abner crouched in the well in its centre. His hair was mussed, his waistcoat was torn, and sweat streaked his face. Take my hand. I'll pull you out. Abner reached up, his slim fingers locking around her pudgy ones. Abigail wrapped her legs around the tree branch in what their governess would have considered a most unladylike way and yanked. At first, nothing happened, but then Abner began to slide upward. The tree trunk felt like it was moulding itself around him, and Abigail could have sworn there was a popping sound when he finally came free. His hand slipped from Abigail's grasp, and he tumbled off her branch to the ground. Abner! Abner stood up, wincing as he put weight on his left foot. All's well, Abby. I've only twisted my ankle a mite. Then his eyes widened. Abby, get down. Get down now. Abby put her hands on the branch and swung her legs down, hanging from the branch for a moment before dropping to the earth. What? Please, Abby, we must get home. I'm not arguing with you, but... Seeing how frightened Abner was, Abby stopped. She let him wrap an arm around her shoulders and helped him limp out from under the confines of the witch elm's branches. Three. All the birds in the forest, they bitterly weep, saying, where shall we shelter or where shall we sleep? For the oak and the ash, they are all cut and down, and the walls of Bonnie Portmore are all down to the ground. From Bonnie Portmore a traditional Irish folk song. Four. Colonel Jacob Bradford strolled through the forest, whistling a cheerful tune. 
His homecoming celebration had been delightful, but the soft breeze, the twittering of birds in the high branches, and the sunlight peeking through those branches to illuminate the forest floor were even more appealing. The unspoilt countryside where he had spent much of his boyhood had come to symbolise everything he loved, everything he had fought to protect. He entered a clearing and saw a great witch elm standing before him. Green leaves spilled down from a lofty crown like fountains, shifting in the breeze to reveal a trunk so big he wouldn't have been able to put his arms around it. Colonel Bradford ducked between the branches and sat down on the mossy ground, leaning back against the trunk with a grateful sigh. The bark wasn't rough, as he'd expected. On the contrary, it felt soft, as if he was sinking into a down mattress. He closed his eyes, breathing deep of the rich smell of loam and leaves. Colonel Bradford was disconcerted to detect another scent underlying the wholesome one. It was earthy, but not the smell of soil. Mud. It was mud, though the ground beneath him was dry. Mud and the kind of rain that doesn't wash things clean, but instead turns the world into a dreary, soggy mess. And rising up through the mud like bubbles, another stench, sharp and coppery. All at once, the softness of the trunk at his back wasn't the welcome comfort of a down mattress, but the sticky give of a trench wall soaked by never-ending rain. He lurched to his feet, and something with the consistency of pudding pulled away from his back. He stumbled out from under the branches and into the open space of the clearing, Turning to look back over his shoulder, he no longer thought that the bowed branches resembled grateful fountains. Now they looked like green slime bubbling over the lip of a cauldron. It's shell shock. Shell shock, nothing more. Beating a hasty retreat out of the clearing, Colonel Bradford almost believed that. Five. A species that evolved on the open savanna will naturally be uncomfortable in an impenetrable forest where predators and odder things may lurk within a few steps of the unwary traveller. We can see this discomfort reflected in traditional folklore. The witch who captures Ansel and Gressel lives in a forest, as does Baba Yaga and the Earl King. A number of modern stories intended to horrify centre around trees or forests as well, such as Algernon Blackwood's The Man Whom Trees Loved and H.P. Lovecraft's The Tree on the Hill. 6. Harry lumbered through the thick underbrush, leaving the sound of heavy machinery and the smell of asphalt behind. Other members of the crew actually used their coffee break to drink coffee, but Harry had something better than that. Nettles and saplings gave way to a clearing that exuded an air of a seclusion, despite being only a three-minute walk from the new road. The single tree in the centre of the clearing was magnificent, and Harry felt a fleeting gladness that their plans didn't call for them to chop this one down. With a grunt, he sat down against the trunk and pulled out his stash and rolling paper from an inside pocket of his coat. This was almost as comfortable as sitting in his recliner at home. The only things missing were the can of beer and the football game on the telly. The foreman was annoyed when Harry didn't come back from his coffee break on time. As the hours passed and he failed to emerge from the woods, annoyance turned into concern. A few men, who could be spared, were sent in to look for him. The half-smoked joint they found beneath a stately witch elm told them that Harry had stopped for a few minutes in this clearing, but they never did figure out where he'd been after that. 7. 
1943, four children found a human skeleton hidden inside the hollow trunk of a witch elm in the Hagley Woods of Worcestershire. The skeleton was that of a female human who had died of asphyxiation in 1941. Although a definitive identification was never made, many believe the victim to be a prostitute known as Bella. After this, speculation was voiced on a BBC Radio 4 broadcast. Graffiti, demanding to know who put Bella in the witch elm, began appearing in the local area. 8. Unlike the other trees of the forest, the witch elm in the clearing didn't play host to nesting birds. No squirrels scampered through its branches and no moles or foxes sheltered beneath its boughs. Even other trees left a perimeter around it hence the clearing. When the elm bark beetles arrived in the British Isles in the 1960s, most of the other elms in the region succumbed. Their serrated leaves turned yellow and brown, dried up and fell from the branches. But the witch elm in the clearing was unaffected. Its leaves remained vibrant, and while its branches slumped, it was not from weakness. A few arborists cataloguing the remaining elms in the area made note of the witch elm. It was listed several times because each purple ribbon the arborist tied around its trunk to mark it as an uninfected fell to the ground and was quickly subsumed into the loam. No one was present to watch the ribbons fall, but if they had been, they would have seen the trunk expand and contract like the chest of a breathing man, stretching until the ribbons snapped. What they did notice was a spongy texture to the trunk, but this didn't make it into any of the official written records, since the clear absence of withered leaves and beetle feeding galleries showed that the softness wasn't indicative of Dutch elm disease. 9. Elm trees have a reputation for shedding branches even in the absence of wind. On some occasions, these unexpected fallen branches have injured or even killed bystanders. As a result, Several ominous folk aphorisms have developed regarding this genus of tree. Oak do brood, an elm do hate, says one, while the other warns, elm hateth man and waiteth. 10. Clara gasped as they entered the clearing. The tree in its centre was huge, a broad grey trunk with striated bark crowned by a jungle's worth of leaves. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Michael asked. This must be the oldest witch elm in the whole country. She poked at her tablet with a stylus. You should definitely take measurements to preserve this. She stepped toward the gently waving branches. Michael suppressed the urge to call her back or to reach out and grab her arm. He'd passed the witch elm many times on his walks through the woods and had sometimes considered stopping to eat lunch in its shade but getting close to it had always made the hairs on the back of his neck stand on end, and he'd hurried away, glancing back over his shoulder as if he wanted to be sure that the tree wasn't following him. Clara was barely visible through the leaves now. I don't see any signs of disease or damage at all, she called back to him. Her voice was muffled by the greenery. The bark is perfectly... Her voice cut off and Michael was overwhelmed by the sense of an expected disaster coming to pass. Like seeing two cars on a collision course and knowing they were going too fast for either of them to stop in time. Clara! Clara, are you OK? Clara stumbled out from under the elm's canopy, her hair dishevelled and her stylus dropping from her fingers. 
Oh, I'm fine, she said, pushing strands of hair back into place. I, I just got a little... Uh, the heat, you know. In fact, it was a mild day, and the trees blocked enough of the sunlight that it wouldn't have been too unpleasant, even at midsummer. But Michael nodded acceptance of her explanation. He could see Clara's stylus lying in the grass just at the edge of where the overhanging leaves slopped down to the ground. He certainly wasn't going to get it. He suspected that if he pointed out to Clara, she would find some reason not to approach as well. Anyway, she said in an aggressively business-like tone, it's a very old, healthy tree, and whatever you end up doing with the land, you should make sure it's protected. No, Michael thought. I should make sure it's chopped into pieces and have the pieces burned. Do it out on the open moor and make sure no one breathes the smoke. He and Clara left the clearing. As always, he looked back as they did. He couldn't be sure, but he thought that maybe some of the leaves had curled around the stylus and were drawing it up. <laughs>